Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Tom Cronin. Tom is a meditation teacher who spent 26 years on Wall Street. In a very stressed environment, he turned to meditation for help and it ended up transforming his life. Tom left his very successful career in finance to found the Stillness Project, which aims to transform and teach people the power of stillness and calm through deep meditation. Today, he's going to teach us how to slow down and how to use meditation to change our life. Tom, can you talk about your background, the work you do, and how you got into meditation? Yeah, at the moment, I'm a meditation teacher, uh, speaker, author, and retreat host and coach. I'm also producing a feature film called The Portal, which explores the power of transformation uh, using meditation through crisis and trauma. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wasn't always in this field. Many years ago, I was a pretty out of control, almost Wolf of Wall Street style broker here in Sydney, trading uh, swaps and bonds on international finance markets. And uh, I started that out at the age of 19. It was very exciting, fast and furious back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. And uh, before long, I was getting swept away by lots of drugs, alcohol, late nights, partying, uh, you know, a young guy with lots of money and, uh, you know, uh, not much consciousness. <laughs> wasn't a good formula. And uh, eventually over time, my body being an amazing piece of equipment started letting me know that what I was doing wasn't appropriate. And that comes in the form of symptoms. So I started to get anxiety and depression and panic and Eventually, after ignoring those symptoms and doing the same thing over and over again, uh, at the age of 29, I had a bit of a meltdown uh, where uh, I literally couldn't go to work and I was sent to psychiatrists having suicidal tendencies and put on pharmaceutical drugs. But it was in that time that I really started to explore other alternatives. I kind of felt that the drugs and uh, you know the, the psychiatrist wasn't the best option for me. I just felt I was kind of checking out of life and wasn't really getting to the crux of the problem. So I started to explore the mind and meditation. And uh, this was back in the uh, mid sort of 90s. And there wasn't much of this around back then. You know, it wasn't even that long ago, but there was very little around. You know, there's no apps and online programs or anything. So um, I found a teacher in my hometown and uh, it was quite phenomenal and a very rapid transformation using meditation. Uh, so needless to say, I um, actually went back into my job, you know, the same company, the same clients doing the same thing for 16 more years, but just not using the drugs and the alcohol and not having that uh, intense stress response that I was getting. So, yeah, that kind of led me to where I am now. After eventually 16 more years in that career, I decided it was time to walk away from all of that and start to share the power of meditation with the world. So here I am now. Yeah, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. I mean, I was talking to this girl earlier today and she was saying that she thought that the average person can handle like really intense sort of stress for about 10 years and they tend to break down and uh and that's not around the same amount of time frame that you had when you first got into meditation you said you found a local teacher like what type of things did did you encounter um because i think there are a lot more resources now but i still think it's hard for a lot of people to know how to get started yeah, it is, you know, and, and partly because the, the the way we're getting started these days, um, you know, it's like when I, I go onto Netflix on a Friday night and I look through the, um, through the, the you know, the whole array of different things that I could watch, I kind of end up not watching anything um, other than watching a lot of trailers. And um, I think this is part of the problem in today's world as well, is that we have so many options available to us that we kind of end up not really knuckling down and doing anything substantial. And, um, and this is what... Uh, you know, for me back then in the sort of mid 90s, you know, it was a very expensive course that I did. We didn't have many options. There was very few teachers around. And so when I learned this technique, it was actually a transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation style. Um, you know, you kind of all in. It was four sort of one and a half, two hour sessions in consecutive nights in a row. And, um, you know, you're, you're paying, you know, up around $1,000 to learn that technique. So when you do it, you kind of, you're all in. It's like, okay, well, this this sounds great and admittedly it was very profound the effects of it as well i think that was one of the main things was that the benefits were quite tangible and i started to notice the effects very quickly so i think that also validated and i also had ongoing support and this is one of the important things about that technique was that 
uh, particularly back then when you just couldn't jump on an app and you know do more of it or whatever you know I, I could go back regularly each week to that group of um, meditators and that teacher and get support with my practice and so that was really really important I think and I still I, I teach that technique today and I still think that's in a, probably the most viable and effective way of learning to meditate certainly with a teacher even if it's not transcendental meditation or vedic meditation i think you know just finding a teacher of whatever the uh, meditation that you resonate with most and i'm not here to promote one technique over the other that was the one that worked for me and it's the one that i find most effective in teaching but um there's just so many different techniques out there and i just think you know do you you're shopping around and find a teacher that you resonate with and a style of meditation that you resonate with but i think the most powerful thing we can do is actually learn in person with a teacher I want to talk about some of the benefits of, of working with a teacher, but um, let's talk first about some of the different styles of meditation. Cause I think, or I feel like there's a lot of different confusion around that because there are a lot of different choices. Can you talk about some of the different styles of meditation? Yeah, it is a bit of a quagmire and I think it's really good to clarify it for the audience because um, you know, there are so many different meditation techniques and, and all of them are relevant. It just depends on what you want to get out of that technique. You know, if you want to, manifest a Porsche, then you're going to be doing visualization uh, sort of meditations and really imprinting the feeling and the sensation and the visualization of what that looks like and feels like in your life and who knows over time um, with a, a great deal of attention towards attaining that goal, you, you may end up manifesting that. Um, but if you want to have a profoundly deep restful experience and overcome extreme imbalances in your body then that technique's not going to work well for you because it's about excitation there's a lot of stimulation in the mind in the body and in the nervous system as you're visualizing the immense feeling of having that actual object in your life um, and i'm not saying that's something people should be going out and striving for it's just a, an extreme example i'm using here to to clarify something um, with something like a, a deep transcending style meditation like primordial sound technique or vedic meditation or tm or something like that um, that is going to take you profoundly deep into a state of stillness of mind, then what happens is the physiology goes into a remarkably deep state of physiological rest. And that's really what healed me of the anxiety, the insomnia, the depression, was that physiologically my body was put into a, a profoundly deep state of rest so that it could do what it knows how to do well, and that's upheal, uh, upgrade and to heal itself. And so... Um, if you want deep rest, if you want to heal, if you want to um, repair uh, your emotional, mental and physiological state, then I would recommend a deep transcending meditation. Um, if you need more, um, if you've got a really hectic mind and it's just really all over the place, then you might need to start out with a, a breathing technique that's going to be very uncomfortable and very challenging. But at the same time, if you do that on a regular basis, then that's going to really help your um, mind starts to still down and give you a little bit more discipline and authority over your mind. So that would be something where you would concentrate on the breath moving through the nostrils and that sheer focus and discipline with that practice um, is very empowering for you, your consciousness, to have authority over the mind. Um, so they're all going to be different styles of meditation. We've got visualizations, we've got contemplations, We've got gratitude meditations, we've got focus meditations, which is that concentration one, and then we've got the deep transcending style meditations using things like mantras or binaural beats. Okay, I still want to go into even a little bit more depth. So what are sure. mantras and what are uh, whatever the beats that you mentioned? <laughs> binaural beats, yeah. Binaural um, beats. They're, de they're de devices. So think of your phone as a device that basically lures your mind's attention and um, the phone does a very good job of pulling your mind's attention away from a multitude of other areas that it could go in um, to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And it's very successful at doing that. And that's what a mantra is. It's a device to lure your attention just in another direction. Um, a binaural beat is the same. There's, there's an entrainment process. So um, when you're thinking about something, let's just say it's that Porsche again, um, there's there's a shift happening in your physiology. There's a correlation between the state of your thoughts, the vibration of your thoughts, and the vibration of your body. Um, that's an entrainment process. Um, with the mantra, what happens is it takes um, the mind from a beta brainwave frequency, which is having lots of thoughts um, about outer world things. That's the world around us. You know, boyfriends, girlfriends, children, money, jobs, emails, cars. 
um, the future, the past. And what the mantra does is that it lures the mind inward uh, in the opposite direction that it naturally is inclined to go. And it takes it uh, down into deeper brainwave frequencies that is eventually down to a delta brainwave frequency where the mind becomes very deeply calm and still. Um, and the only way that that happens is through an entrainment or in synchronization, uh, is that the right word, synchronization, to the mantra's vibration. And so we repeat this sound inside our head effortlessly, silently, quietly, um, so that there's a, a subtle shift from your brain moving into the outer world where it's seeking excitation to the inner world where it gets de-excitation. And this is where we get this deep rest. What's an example of a mantra? Um, so you'd use different mantras. Um, the transcending mantras, you generally wouldn't be uh, putting them out there um, verbally. Uh, they, you know, you've got mantras like Om Namah Shivar or Aham. Um, these are mantras that you can repeat that have this soothing effect on the mind. A beige mantra or a transcending mantra are generally a little bit shorter and um, they're usually given out um, in a particular um, ceremony or experience with a student in private. Um, but some more sort of mainstream mantras that people might have heard of would be Soham or Aham Brahasmi or Om Mani Padmi Hum. These are primordial sort of sounds that um, has a wonderful resonance and a um, dynamic shift in the body when we repeat them. So one would repeat them in their head or repeat them out loud? Yeah, depending on the style of mantra. So there's um, particular mantras that you could repeat out loud, like Om Mani Padmi Hum. You'll hear sometimes some chants or songs having that um, chanted out loud. Um, things like So Hum, you probably would repeat silently inside your head and that would be a sufficient mantra um, that uh, students could start to, to practice with. Um, you mentioned delta brainwaves and can you talk about the different types of brainwaves? Is this something that you know? You, you know much yeah. about? I, I have a little bit of knowledge, not extensive knowledge, but uh, you know, from, from what I've uh, become aware of that, um, you know, when we're in an active mind um, activity state, that is when we're having lots of thoughts in our head, we're in beta. Um, and then when we um, drop down into deeper states of restfulness, we'll drop into, um, into profound states of meditation, will be delta brainwave frequency. And um, you can get these are like measured by Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z. Um, and you can get into a very scientific explanation of them. But, uh, you know, a Hertz of delta would be around sort of one to three, uh, whereas in beta, uh, Hertz would be up around a 15 to 30. And you move down through these frequencies from uh, beta down to alpha, theta, and then delta. And there's a gamma as well. And just the lower they are, the more relaxed we are, is what you're saying? That's correct, yeah. The less mental activity there are, there is. So with meditation, or the goal is to sort of lower these waves, right? Yeah, that's right. It's to have less mental activity in the mind. And that's uh, th that, again, depends on the meditation because visualization meditations or contemplative meditations, um, uh, intention-setting meditations, is when you're actually going to have uh, you know, activity in the brain. Um, it just depends on the particular style of meditation. But the deeper styles of meditation where the mind becomes still, so that's your Zen meditations, your um, concentration meditations, and your transcending meditations, you're going to get into those deeper sort of delta brainwave frequencies. Did you say concentration meditations? Yeah, that's when we're focusing on the breath moving through the nostrils, where, or, or we're focusing on one single point. It's a very a disciplined practice. Well, I wonder if you can talk about that, because I, I've heard so much recently around like different ideas of uh, breath, uh, everything from cohesive breathing to uh, holotropic breathing, like fast breathing, slow breathing, ecstatic breathing. I was following this guy, I think it's Wim Hof, and he like, yeah. yeah, so like there's all these different sort of approaches for breathing. I know when I do use the, the meditation apps, they'll have me like count the space between breaths. Can you talk about this approach to breathing that you're describing? Yeah, there's so many different ways to explore um, the breath and meditation. I mean, I've been, done some Wim Hof as well and some pranayama techniques. And, um, you know, we're starting to really explore the power of breath um, on the body. And that's where Wim's bringing these very ancient practices out into the mainstream. Um, very exciting uh, what we can do with, you know, some intense breathing exercises, uh, particularly some Kundalini breathing exercises. And so, 
we're starting to really discover, you know, all these wonderful things about breath. Um, but breath can be used in multitude of different ways. We can, can be used simply as a device for concentration. That is that every day since the day we're born, um, 24-7, there's a natural ebb and flow of uh, breath moving in and out of the body. And it's a seamless, effortless process. And we can just simply bring our awareness to that process as a form of concentration. Again, that's just a device. We're using the breath as a device to lure our mind's attention to a particular direction and um, getting it away from the multitude of the 50 to 70,000 thoughts we have every day to focus into just one thought. So that's a concentration meditation where we're simply using the breath as a device to uh, simplify our, our mental activity. Uh, the challenge with breath meditation is that as we go into deeper states of mental um, calm, the breath is going to spontaneously become reduced. It's going to uh, get less and less and less because the requirement for oxygen gets reduced. So when we're in a deep transcendent state, that is we're not having any thoughts, we're having no corresponding uh, biochemical reactions or physiological reactions in the body because there's no stimulation from the mind. And what that does is that it uh, reduces the requirement for oxygen to almost zero. So if you are focusing on a, a flow of breath uh, that is almost reduced to zero, then it's going to really inhibit um, your ability to, to meditate because um, the thing that you're focusing on is disappearing very quickly. Um, and it kind of is a bit contrarian to getting into those deeper states. Um, whereas if we're using um, the breath for some form of oxygenating the body and getting a, an enhanced experience with some activation of, you know, DMT from the brain or some beautiful biochemical release in our body, then we're going to have a very extreme um, breathing activity where we're breathing in and out, in and out, in and out, with deep sort of lung-filling process um, of breath. And what that's going to do is it's going to create this immense oxygenation of the body and you're going to feel these incredible sensations coming through the body. Um, now, that's not necessarily meditation, but it certainly is going to give you a profound experience. Did, did you say there's between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day that we have? Yeah, from the moment we wake up, yeah, even if you'd count probably going into dream state, which we do around sort of four in the morning, three, four in the morning, we go into dream state. So we're starting our thinking process fairly early on in the, in the day, and then uh, that will continue on every single second with all these different thoughts all the way through till um, we are going, obviously go into unconscious deep sleep, which will be, you know, whenever your bedtime is around 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, just 50,000 divided by 24 is 2,083.33. And divide, yeah. divide that by 60, uh, so that's 34. Like, it's crazy. I mean, I mean it seems yeah. for, the numbers, when you break down them into minutes, um, that seems in the right range but just seems it's amazing yeah it's wild isn't it it's a lot of a lot of conversation in our heads when we're <laughs> yeah. when we're experiencing them uh i was gonna say we don't think about them but we do think about them that's exactly what we're doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um you, you mentioned zen meditation like that comes up a lot what is exactly is zen meditation and how is it different yeah. from uh deep trans uh, dental Transcendent. yeah yeah i think zen zen meditation would be probably dropping into the category of the concentration meditation. So it's a very disciplined practice of um, staying very zen and that is in the moment. So just being very, very present with what is now. That is where we're not being uh, – so it's it's quite an engaged mindful activity. So you you are in the thinking process but being very present with the, uh, the experience. So I am here and there is only right now. And um, with transcendence, we've actually transcended thinking and awareness of your surrounds and duality. You've transcended the idea that there's an I and you're just experiencing unboundedness. With Zen, it's very much an observation from the perspective of I. So there's an I that is um, being very focused about being in this moment now. The I that is present in this moment. That's me, Tom. But Tom is going to make sure... Um, that I'm not going to be distracted from this present moment. So at the moment, um, I can hear your voice. I can hear someone mowing lawns in the background. I can smell some lingering incense in my meditation room that I'm in right now. Um, this is a very Zen now experience of um, only being in this present moment and not being distracted by this present moment. So sort of turning off the 
that, that conversation that we have in our heads about the past yeah. or the future. Yeah. So, future, yeah. so how is that, how is that unbound meditation different? When, when we transcend in meditation, um, that is to go beyond transcend means to go beyond. That's why they call it transcendental meditation. So, um, the, the experiencer, the subject that's you, um, has gone beyond that experience of I-ness. Um, you have now gone into amness where uh, some students uh, have talk about, you know, feeling their hands disappearing or their legs disappearing, almost like their bodies disappeared. They've, they've transcended the world of form and phenomenon. So they're no longer in duality. There's not like an I and then that the world outside of me. There's no longer I and the lawnmower, I and my future, I and my past that duality has been transcended into oneness and that is just a deeply profound experience of spaciousness that is beyond time and matter and so how does one get into that state mm, it's a great question isn't it um that's where the mantras come in uh, the mantras being a, a device to lure the mind into deeper and deeper states of awareness um, where as the mind dives deeper through the lure and attraction of that mantra, um, it pulls away from the world that it's normally fascinated by and charmed by, which is duality and excitation of forms and phenomenon, future and past, and it starts to explore the inner world. And as it goes deeper and deeper, what happens is it gets to a point, it's like a sort of tipping point, where it, um, it, it goes into and surrenders thinking altogether. It surrenders the thought process, and the mind has now, uh, in its state of being awake, it has surrendered the requirement and the charm of thinking. And what we access in this state is what's called pure consciousness. So it's consciousness without thought. So we're awake and aware. There's, a, there's an awareness that um, of presence, but uh, you're out of the thinking process. How is that different from what one is trying to achieve with Zen when they're trying to be fully present? Because in both cases, I'm hearing you say that like the person's trying to get to a point where they're, they're fully present. Yeah, um, the difference is in Zen meditation, um, there's I, which is me, that's observing the sounds, the smells, the sensations, the room that I'm in, um, but I'm just in the present moment of whatever is right now. Um, so I'm still very much aware of my body. I'm aware of the room, the computer, the noises, the smells. Um, in transcendence, that all just dissolves. You're not aware of those um, that duality of me and the other world that is the computer and the smells and the sensations. Um, you've gone beyond the world of forms and phenomenon. And so uh, it's like a, a deep sleep state, but you're awake. And that's probably the easiest way to describe it. So it's it's the space behind your thoughts. It's the space that doesn't have uh, senses in it, and it's the space that doesn't have forms in it. So when when a person goes into that space, I mean, they're they're not going to go to work in that space, right? Like, <laughs> that's right. So so <laughs> so what? And then I've heard. I mean, I've I've heard. I mean, I remember years ago, a friend of mine. She's a producer for a, a major TV network and major business show, and she was talking about some of her friends who are billionaires who were hedge fund managers who practiced uh, transcendental meditation and, and said it absolutely changed their life and was like one of the foundations of their success. So what could one expect out, out of um, coming or going into to a state like this and how often should they practice or should one practice? Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's ex explore what, what transcendence is, and we, which we just covered, and, and how transcendence integrates into our eyes open, going to work state. Um, so there's one thing, which is closing your eyes, sitting in a chair in a nice quiet room and transcending into the world of boundarylessness. But then there's the next step, which is opening your eyes and going to make your breakfast and getting on a train and going to work. Um, over time, what happens, and the, the analogy I like to use to explain this in my courses is the analogy of the ocean on the surface of the ocean we have constant fluctuations and whether that's wild seas or very calm seas either way there's always ripples of some sort or huge waves and, and in the, that surface of the ocean we have peaks and troughs those peaks and troughs uh, don't coexist without each other you can't have a peak without a trough and this is ultimately 
the fundamental nature of um, the subject or relative field of life. That is, there's you and the world around you, and the world around you is creating peaks and troughs in your experience of life. Uh, you meet someone on Tinder and you feel really great, you decide to get married, and you feel like this is the best thing that's ever happened in three years you break up. Um, you have children, you can't believe it, you've just finally wanted children all your life, and then next thing it's four in the morning and they haven't stopped screaming, they've got teething problems, and you're just like, what the hell is happening in my world? Uh, you get an amazing job, you get a pay rise, and then you get made redundant. You know, there's peaks and troughs constantly happening in the relative field of life, but that's not the only aspect of life. It is certainly an aspect of life, but it's not the only aspect of life, and unfortunately, it's the aspect that most of us are very much caught up in. But if we transcend that surface of the ocean and we go to the very depths of the ocean, we'll find that there's a deep stillness and quietness uh, at the very base of that ocean, that body of water. Now, it's the same body of water. It's just that it's expressed in different ways. And that's the same thing with consciousness. On the surface, we have um, activity of physiological and mental activity that is being influenced by the world around us in relativity. But it's not the only quality. And if we transcend regularly with a daily meditation practice, and I'd recommend two meditations a day as a minimum in today's world, uh, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. I just finished my morning meditation prior to this call. And um, if we practice two a day, then what happens over time is that we start to experience simultaneously the peaks and troughs of life, uh, as well as the deep stillness and calm simultaneously. So we get to experience the full depth and spectrum of reality, which is those two things simultaneously, deep calm and fluctuations. How long should, like when you're doing your meditation in the morning and at night, how long are you meditating for? Yeah, I meditate for 20 minutes, uh, 20 to 25 minutes ideally, uh, morning, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. Do you still practice transcendental meditation or do you mix it up? Do you have a schedule with like, I'm going to do gratitude this day and this time contemplate like how do you know what to meditate on or using yeah start yeah yeah it's a great question i i do use that as the basis for my meditation on every day um so every day i will sit in a chair close my eyes repeat my mantra and uh calm my nervous system down um just because the immense amount of activity that i i'm in in my i know i'm a, a husband a father and I'm running multiple businesses making a feature film um writing books so uh, i need to step back from all that stimulation and activity and experience deep rest in my physiology. I also um, do a little bit of Zen after that where I'll just sit and be. So I've come out of my transcending meditation. I've let go of the mantra and I'll just sit in a state of awareness, just simply present um, for a period of time. And then sometimes I'll do a little bit of intention setting and gratitude um, and visualization about what I want to create that day or that week or in the next few years. Do you set an alarm? Do you do it with your eyes closed? Do you do it with your eyes open? Like, is there a particular space that you go to when you meditate? Yeah, I usually um, either do it in my meditation room here in my in my house where I teach, or in, I've got a really nice uh, lounge room upstairs that has beautiful views of the city. So I like to um, do it in that room. It gets the afternoon sun, which is gorgeous in the evenings and afternoons. Um, I do close my eyes and I just sit comfortably in an incredibly comfortable chair. I know there's a lot of uh, discussion around how to sit for a meditation and um, if the listeners have been given a particular style of meditation where they need to sit in lotus with their hands in a particular position um, without any back support on a floor then follow those instructions whatever your teacher's given you personally um, the instruction I was given and, and the technique that I teach um, we instruct to sit as comfortably as possible in a nice padded chair like it could be your car seat which are very comfortable chairs um, it could be a sofa anywhere where you're going to be comfortable so that your body can drop into uh, very deep states of relaxation awesome you, you talked about contemplative meditation what does that mean yeah that's where we're just thinking uh, about you know you, you, who you are as a person or where you want to go in your life um, visualizing it could be gratitude. So you're, you're back into thinking, but you're just being proactive with your thoughts. So it could be classified as a meditation, but really we're thinking and we're contemplating ideals, intentions. Um, they still revolve around the eyes. So there's very much uh, an 
uh, egoic centered focus around what I can create, what I can do. Um, but again, that's still an important part of, um, you know, mapping out your life and getting some, um, intention around what you're going to create and where you're going to go with your life rather than just hoping things work out. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Can you describe intention for us? For somebody who, because that word comes up a lot of top people like, what's your intention? What's your intention? But I feel like a lot of listeners, and even with myself, there are times I had confusion around what does it mean to have an intention? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm, I've just right, lately been exploring this idea that um, most of us are, are moved by desires. And a desire is... Uh, the way I see it is that a desire is a yearning to fill a lack. I have a desire to meet someone because I'm lonely. I have a desire for ice cream because I'm, I, I, I need to get happier. I have a desire to buy, uh, you know, some new clothing items, even though my wardrobe is full, but I need to get uh, fulfilled through that, that experience. So most of us are spontaneously being moved by desires which are motivated by some sense of lack. Intentions are slightly different. Uh, intentions are generally motivated by my capacity to give, my capacity to serve, my capacity to create. I have an intention to write a book. I have an intention to run a retreat. I have an intention to make a feature film. I have an intention to um, buy a farm and grow organic vegetables. So intentions are generally a conscious decision from a uh, a state of mindfulness as opposed to a spontaneous um, yearning to fill a hole, a seeming hole, which is a desire. And so how, how would an intention be different than, say, a goal? I think they'd be fairly similar. Um, a goal is, um, uh, you know, a long-term objective, uh, which could also be an intention. Uh, and intention is also um, the the motivation to move in that direction. For somebody who wants to set, like somebody's listening to this and they want to ask, or they want to set like a good intention, are there any tips on or strategies they can use to sort of set a good intention? Yeah, yeah. It's it's look, it's a really good question. So, um, and I'll use an example of our film that is coming out next year called The Portal. And if anyone is listening, they can just head to theportalmovie.com just to start the initial exploration into the launch of this film and book but um the original you know there's two ways to look at that as an intention one is i intend to um make a feature film because i can make tons of money out of it um, and that's that's just a basic intention um but there could also be a spiritual intention which is i can create a vehicle let's just call this one a film that is going to support the uplift of humanity um, and what happens is that it has a, a very different energy around it based upon the um, the founding uh, intention behind it. And um, explore when someone's making an intention, when everyone, when everyone listening is is making an intention. And it could be, uh, you know, based upon, you know, going, catching up with someone for dinner or, um, you know, what is the intention for that interaction? What is the intention for that action? Um, and what's motivating it? 
And when we start to bring mindfulness into our intentions, into our goals, uh, and we start to, um, and, you know, it's okay to have self-serving intentions. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it's incredibly uh, powerful when we have um, intentions that serve the uplift of humanity. Um, it really changes that dynamic of what you're doing and why you do it. That kind of moves me into gratitude. You talked about um, meditation and gratitude. And the reason why I'm connecting these two things is just when I hear the word gratitude, I think about sort of connecting with people outside yourself, right? Um, this sort of, can, can you talk a little bit about gratitude as a form of meditation? Yeah, I think um, gratitude is a wonderful way to acknowledge the abundance that you have in your life. and it's it's a it's an offering of thanks to the universe to to nature to god whatever you want to call it but it's also an acknowledgement it's hard to be feeling waves of gratitude or almost impossible without acknowledging that that thing that you're grateful for exists so in acknowledging that um that thing exists we're, we're acknowledging that we have abundance we have something that we we have that is uh, making our life more abundant and um, when we start to feel abundant we start to attract abundance and so gratitude is a very powerful technique a to just acknowledge um, that there is abundance in your life but also um, to send frequencies or emotions or vibrations out into the ether um, to to the thing that you're grateful for and i think there's some sort of subtle reciprocation that happens when we do that what does that look and feel like when you're actually practicing it? Yeah, I think as a filling up, you know, we tend to uh, live most of our lives from a state of lack uh, where that we've got these perceived holes that we're constantly trying to fill in. We spend most of our life moving in a direction of trying to fill holes, um, more money, more love, more food. Uh, and when ultimately the universe doesn't have holes, the unbounded doesn't have holes, uh, the divine doesn't have lack. Um, it's a perceived idea from uh, an egoic, fallible human perspective um, that you know we all experience from time to time or regularly, and um, myself included. And um, when when we um, sit there in gratitude, we're kind of sitting there in a space of fulfillment, fulfillment, and um, an abundance, and and feeling light and uh, yeah, filled. I think the idea is to, to feel filled. So would a person be repeating things that they're thankful for? Or would they start with, what is that? The technique itself? Yeah. 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 You could do it a number of different ways. I mean, some of it is a sensation where, let's just say, um, I'm sitting in meditation with gratitude for my um, two beautiful 16-year-old children and wife, you know, and just sitting there and feeling an immense sense of love and gratitude and blessing just putting my attention on them and you could just you know use the words thank you universe for bestowing me such remarkable people in my life and and they're sitting with that feeling of of love for those people and a sense of awe and wonder and gratitude that they're able to be traveling on this journey uh in this very short period of time that you're on this planet earth and that you managed to have them experience it with you. What a gift. So you just sort of think about that, contemplate yeah, it, or you, or you try to put, like uh, you mentioned earlier, sending vibrations out into the universe. Yeah, and that's just, just the feeling of that, of that, the feeling of wonder, the feeling of joy, the feeling of um, beauty that they're, they're with you. Another way to do it, and this is what I was doing regularly, was uh, I have a gratitude journal by my bed. So at night time before bed, I would write three to five, sometimes ten things that I'm grateful for that day. And it's just simply writing them down and just acknowledging that they exist. I don't spend a lot of time on it. It's not necessarily a meditation. It's more grat gratitude journaling. So I'll just write things like, you know, I had amazing food today. What a gift to have all my food requirements met. I had a beautiful hot shower. What a gift to have fresh, hot running water coming out of my tap that's completely clean. Um, you know, simple things like that. What a gift that trees around me are providing me with oxygen. And there's this beautiful symbiotic relationship between me and them that uh, uh, provide me with all my needs as far as oxygen goes. And doing this every day, like a, how, how would that change somebody's sort of experience with life or the sort of their day-to-day -day perceptions on, on 
or the way that they engage with the world? Sure. The, the world is very uh, subjective. Um, and what we can perceive in one day can be completely different in another day based purely upon our perspective of things. And um, we need to uh, be very proactive in shaping our awareness of life. It's not something that happens by default that we just generally see awe and wonder on a daily basis. Uh, it's something that we need to almost train ourselves to be able to do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a classic example of someone that um, I think it's partly a DNA or partly a deep lifetime conditioning that in my mind easily drifts down into the woe is me mentality. You know, I, I spent many years in a, in a woe state and um, just seeing negativity and seeing um, difficulty and creating difficulty. And, um, you know, it's, it's a proactive process that I have to be in to uplift my thought forms, uplift my uh, natural tendency to uh, have a negative perspective. And so, uh, you know, that's something that requires some daily due diligence um, to override natural uh, programmings and natural tendencies of the mind. We call them vasanas, V-A-S-A-N-A-S, a -A vasana, um, is a tendency of the mind where there's a conditioning and a programming that the mind habituates and it naturally gravitates to certain thought patterns. And things like gratitude is a way to um, override that programming and create new um, ways of seeing the world. I've also heard um, people talk about loving kindness meditation. Is that a similar type of meditation? Yeah, I think so. You know, to, to again, you know, the same thing, be proactive in how we see the world and think about the world. And to, uh, it's not a natural tendency on a daily basis, particularly when we're smothered in so much negative news on a daily basis, particularly now that we've got phones and internet where we can just get waves and waves of people screwing up their lives and the world. Um, being reported and we're getting obsessed about reading about that continuously and what happens is that um, you know we meet at the water cooler and we start complaining about the world or complaining about what someone else is saying or doing and most of our thinking process is in a fairly low grade state a lot of the time so to have loving kindness um, in our thoughts is just not natural it's not a it's not a, a daily thing that you know our mind just tends to think loving kindness towards people and life itself. So for most of us, some of you, that might be natural for you, which is a blessing. Um, for most of us, we have to work at that, and that's where we get proactive and conscious about that as an activity. What are some of the other types of meditation that fall within this sort of this realm? That's a good question. There'd be things like prayer, um, you know, for things like uh you know, certain religions might have more prayer type things. But, you know, we're talking about um, being proactive with our minds. It might be reading poetry. It might be um, reciting um, some sort of longer form, sort of Sanskrit chants, things like that. But um, it might just be uh, sitting in contemplation about uh, people that are important to us or things that we put value on, feeling in our heart, um, lots of love in the heart space. I have one meditation called the golden heart meditation um, that I take people through uh, a mindful exercise of putting our awareness into our heart space inside the chest where we visualize a golden ball of light in the heart chakra and just visualizing uh, inside that chest cavity the size of a grapefruit or a, a softball uh, a round orb of warm, soft, glowing light and just visualizing that wonderful, um, you know, heart-centered lovingness that's radiating out from within. You mentioned the chakras. Can you talk about the different types of chakras and, and why they're important? Yeah, look, I, I don't go deep into chakras in my meditation practice. Um, I'm aware of the chakras and I don't do chakra meditations. Um, that is a meditation that people can do. So I'm um, very conscious of um, that as a style of meditation where people move through each chakra and activate those chakras and, um, and, and make sure that they're clear and not blocked. Um, I have had chakra clearing uh, uh, sort of uh, sessions with a, a practitioner that I'll lie down on a bed and I'll do some energy work and clear chakras. So I've had those in my life. 
but some people do a chakra clearing um, as a meditation where they'll go through each of the seven chakras. So the seven chakras are the root chakra, which is uh, recognized as the color of red, and that's uh, right down at the very base of the spine, and that's the very basic sort of primal needs. Um, we've got our sacral chakra, um, which is uh, sort of below the navel, between the um, sort of the pelvic floor and the navel, and that's kind of like our sexual energies. Uh, we've got our solar plexus chakra, uh, which is just um, uh, just above the navel. I've got a heart chakra, um, which I was talking about, and that's kind of in the in the chest area. The throat chakra, which is obviously about communication. Uh, third eye chakra, which is about wisdom and insight, intuition. And then the crown chakra, which is on the top of the head, which is about the, uh, the connection to the divine. When, when people are working with chakras, like what, I mean, it sounds like there's some sense of mysticism around it, or is there like a deeper connection to the body? I mean, I, I also think about a buddy of mine um, said he went on this Vipassana retreat for, where he didn't talk for 10 days and he scanned his body inch by inch and tried to like connect to uh, feeling the different parts of the body. Um, is this just sort of another language for doing that? Like, um, I don't know, I'm just trying to get even get a, a better understanding. Yeah, I think that what, what that practice is, is more just body awareness and going through, you know, it's almost like a yoga nidra. Yoga nidra is a meditation where you, you scan through each different part of the body. And that sounds similar to that. Um, so, you know, your toes, your fingers, your elbows, and you move through a particular direction around your body. And it's, a, again, one of those sort of mindful practices concentration practices um, with chakra clearing it's more around the energy point so uh, these are more sort of recognized as energy points that uh, you'd kind of be clearing out in case they're kind of blocked or stifled or locked up um, you know like for instance your throat chakra um, is this um, this area in the throat obviously that can get blocked people don't speak clearly they don't speak their mind and so there's a, a kind of energetic blockage in that area of their body and um, that that can energetically require some meditation on to clear out so that they can speak more fluidly more clearly and more authentically from uh, you know their inner feeling level you've, you've mentioned ego a few times and I hear people talk about um, this idea of sort of killing the ego um, but I've also like heard you talk through the course of this conversation about um, using certain types of meditation where you start with, for example, the eye and like that sounds like there's some connection or you talked about um, this idea of uh, visualization, visualizing the Porsche. Like there's definitely some ego involved in visualizing, visualizing a Porsche. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, the ego is um, the persona, the, the, um, the individuation it's the uh, the entity that you call you it's the uh, thing that your desires stem from your fears come from uh, and it's uh, the the yeah the individual that is taking up residence in the form of the body and um that sort of basically comes out when we're born and uh, it starts when we want a boob and then a dummy and a, read a book and we want a friend to play with and we want, you know, to get good marks at school and we want to be liked and we want to have lots of Instagram followers and it's all the way through life. It's constantly been driven by this need to be seen and to be recognised and or not to be seen and not to be recognised. Um, but it's, it's only one aspect of reality. And um, there's the ability to transcend the ego. Um, in some practices, they talk about merging the ego with the higher self, where the ego sort of starts to dissolve and becomes one with supreme being. Um, other practices, they talk about eradication of the ego, uh, where they experience in Buddhist terms an emptiness, which is the absence of that egoic entity. So what happens is there's uh, no longer that, um, you know, persona that's being driven. If you look at someone like, Eckhart Tolle, um, when he talks, um, you know, he has a very egoless type uh, persona or, or um, existence where he's very unmoved and fairly unexpressive. That's because <laughs> the, uh, the ego that normally is the expressive thing um, uh, has been sort of, it looks like it's been 
removed or dissolved. I, I, I definitely, I was, I was thinking about him as you were, you were talking and I really like his books. I found new earth. I was listening to it today while I was on a run and, uh, I found the power of now really powerful, but I also thought like, I wouldn't want to invite this guy over to dinner more than once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, a lot of people don't want that experience of egolessness, you know, because it means not being moved positively or negatively by the world around you by being unmoved because you're, you're unaffected. And a lot of us, that's not an appealing proposition. And that's why we're not in that state. And if, if we want to get in that state, then we can move into that state. But for most of us, um, we thrive in the persona and the identity of our ego. I also feel like it would be hard to connect with somebody, right? Like if, if you're trying to connect with another human being and they sort of like are accepting to sort of everything and there's like sort of no, like there's no friction, I feel like it would be hard to connect. Yeah, you're connecting on a subtler level. There's different layers of connection. Um, they're connecting on a, a much subtler plane um, and it's a very pure plane. So they're connecting not out of need or, um, you know, wanting to be moved. They're connecting um, in a divine way where there's, it's almost like um, taking back the analogy of the ocean, um, you're starting to recognize that um, it's all oneness, it's all ocean, and um, you're totally connected. You're more connected than ever before, just not in the individualized form of the persona. So what would that look and feel like? It would feel like a, a sublime, sublime, peaceful blissfulness. And is it, do you feel like it's sustainable? Um, it hasn't been in my life. <laughs> I've certainly had glimpses into it, um, but I, I get rattled at times by uh, some extreme events and circumstances that still pull me out of that state. So I'm not going to profess to have arrived permanently in that state. Um, I do know of some people that have experienced that in a sustainable level, and um, they're, they're what you would consider an enlightened being. And how would you define an aligned being? Many different ways to define it. One would uh, consider it to be um, all-knowing, uh, omni omniscient, omni omnipresent, so experiencing omnipresence, that is experiencing oneness at a subtle level, a celestial level. Um, some would call it um, absence of ego, where you're just experiencing pure presence and pure watchfulness, um, absence of the eye, um, I couldn't claim to be fully enlightened, so I, I wouldn't be able to speak from experience. So I'm only speaking from what I'd imagine it to be. Is there anyone who you've come across where you've felt like immediately this person is in that place? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a gentleman called Joseph Scott, uh, who's been a, a Zen coach of mine. I think, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, Eckhart Tolle. I mean, I haven't met Thich Nhat Hanh or T Eckhart Tolle. Um, I, I would say um, if I was to have been able to meet Maharishi Mahesh Yogi or Swami Brahmananda Saraswati, Ramana Maharshi, I think Muji, uh, M-O-O-J-I, uh, is a profoundly enlightened sage. I think Adyashanti, who's an American, uh, I'd imagine would be enlightened. Uh, Swami Nichananda, there's uh, quite a few, I think, people on the planet right now that would be experiencing certainly degrees of enlightenment. I think it's not a fin finite definitive thing. I think it's a ever-changing, evolving process. You, you talked about dissolving into a divine being. What does that mean? I think it's just uh, where the, um, the merging of your individual state into the field of oneness. So imagine um, that analogy of the ocean where, you know, what happens is you've got this field it's body of water and what comes out of that body of water is, is a wave out of some form of stimulation or activity and that wave has now got its own individualized status that wave won't always be a wave because it is only a wave out of energy and energy exhausts itself so eventually that wave will collapse in back into the field um, but because that wave will actually not sustain permanence it has this fear-based concept that oh my god i'm not always going to be a wave but i really love being a wave and i can discriminate my wave to someone else's wave i'm bigger fatter different color uh have more or less than someone else's wave and so now there's discrimination and fear and um this is what uh the perceived individuation um experiences but when we transcend being a wave um we start to realize over time oh hang on 
this is interesting, whether I'm a wave or not, I'm actually always the ocean. And um, through meditation, I can transcend my wave-like status and experience an oceanic status. And, um, and now what I'm experiencing is the field of oceanicness. And I can experience that as an individual form while I'm a wave, or I can experience that without the form of the wave as well. Oh, it's fa- absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I'll, I'll move to some more sort of practical stuff. Like if somebody's listening to this and you mentioned earlier, like there's a lot of stimulus, 50 to 70,000 uh, thoughts a day. I'll take, I'll, I'll take your word on that. Um, I do know that we do get constantly bombarded. You mentioned the news uh, with a 24-hour news cycle and internet and and that we used to get mail once a day in, in modern society. Now we get it every couple minutes. I can hear your uh, email dinging every couple of minutes. And um, like Instagram, Facebook, we have this sort of like constant bombardment of of messages. So for people who want to reclaim stillness back in their day, um, they want to sort of calm this like voice in their head. I don't know any like sort of really practical sort of tips to, to get them going? Yeah, definitely uh, that dinging in the background, turn all of that off. Uh, you know, you we have really got to empower ourselves um, and reclaim our lives back from the immense distortion that is happening right now that is literally 15 years old. And our, our nervous systems, my nervous system, my children's nervous systems, literally cannot cope with this immense bombardment and uh, sabotage that's occurring through this technological revolution. And um, we're paying an immense price for it. So we need to structure periods in our day where we get back to simplicity. That is by turning off your gadgets, turning off your computers, sitting in a chair, closing the eyes and uh, withdrawing from the world. As you said, we used to get one mail drop of that a day and that was some papers that went into the, the mailbox and if you're lucky you might have got one or two letters one of them would be a bill and one might be a letter from your grandma um, and these days you know as you said you, you're getting 50 to 100 and that's just emails you know I did an interesting study on my life the other day where I realized by nine o'clock in the morning I'd communicated with at least 15 people by nine in the morning and that was through whatsapp through messenger through emails and text messages catching up on business things and students and things like that and um you know in in the past only 20 years ago uh the only way i would have communicated with someone was either speaking to them in person um being on the phone or reading a letter from them (laughs) so um you know we might have been in contact with two or three people by nine o'clock in the morning so it's this this level of intensity of communication and rapid communication is uh, is overwhelming. So we need to really learn to shut down and not get swept along by this current that is going to have a major impact on all of our lives in the not-so-distant future. It's already having an impact. Can you talk a little bit about the Stillness Project? Sure. Our intention was to uh, inspire a billion people and is in- intention to inspire a billion people to meditate daily. Um, everything we do from retreats, coaching, even um, you know, making this feature film um, is to convey the importance of, uh, because it was so profound in my life, the importance of um, whatever that form of meditation is, but having some time each day in meditation. You know, we've heard a lot about enlightenment over the many years, and it's been around for thousands of years, and it never really gets a bad rap, yet we're just not really that dedicated to experiencing probably the most profound human experience um, because of distraction. And uh, I know my intention is to make that a little bit cool and sexy. And we're getting towards the end of the time. Any last tips, suggestions, words of wisdom for people who want to start a meditation practice? Just question why you do what you do. And ultimately, most of us are in outcome-oriented fulfillment. We're driven by desires in the quest to be fulfilled. And the point is, when we live through the ego uh, in outcome-oriented fulfillment, there is never, ever, ever a time in your life where you'll get everything you ever wanted and still uh, be fulfilled. It's just not possible. The ego cannot ever possibly feel permanently fulfilled. 
um, something will change, something will shift. There will need to be more. There'll be need to be another experience. Whatever you get, you'll probably lose. Um, we need to free ourselves of that shackle. And uh, meditation is one of the greatest methods that's going to help us to find freedom and liberation from that constant ache that's inside of us to get more. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be motivated into action. It doesn't mean that we're still not going to, you know, I, I, you know, I have a nice car and I um, live in a nice suburb. Um, it doesn't mean we don't have intentions to value and appreciate a good life. But uh, what it does is it helps us find a greater sense of balance. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and enlightened being either. <laughs> I'm certainly not that as well. Um, but it certainly helps um, to find a lot more harmony in our lives. Tom, you've been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for helping us to understand meditation with so much more clarity. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Tom, the Stillness Project, uh, all the different things that he's doing, we're going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so you can learn about him and his work more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Pleasure, my friend. And uh, have a great day, everyone. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.